0: You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. We have wrapped up our message, our series of messages on the Gospel of John. And uh, as we've wrapped that up, we've tried to kind of shift focus onto uh, important truths and important words of Advent. And two weeks ago, we were in John chapter 20 talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And as He appeared to the disciples, He said unto them, Peace be unto you. One of the main concepts, the main words of the Advent season, of the Christmas season, is peace. We talked about Jesus as Prince of Peace. Last week when we were in John 21, we looked at Jesus appearing to the disciples and having the conversation with Peter where he tells him to go and feed his sheep. To love people who are not easy to love. He's talking to Peter about his love for him. And we looked at the importance of the word love, which is another of the Advent Christmas words. And the other two that I wanted to talk to you about are peace and hope, and my or joy and hope. And my, and my plan was to talk to you about joy this Sunday and talk to you about hope next Sunday. But every time I worked on my sermon on joy, I found that joy was just really inextricably linked to hope. And as we've been in John 20 and John 21, and today we'll be in Galatians 4, I hope that you see that while these are not the customary Christmas passages, like those that we read to begin the service today, they are very much passages about the peace, the love, the hope, and the joy that's afforded to us at Christmas time. On Christmas Day, my family and I, we will uh, do what has become tradition for us on Christmas after Christmas Eve, celebrating here with you in our candlelight worship service, uh, we will fly out on Christmas Day. We'll spend Christmas Day at the airport. And so as you're gathering with your family uh, to open up gifts, is a good chance I'll be opening up my luggage at TSA Security, letting them go through all of our belongings. And it's just worked out well for us to fly on Christmas Day following the Christmas Eve service to go and spend time with family at Virginia Beach. And as I go through that process, there are multiple times that I have to verify my identity. When I get to the ticket counter, I have to show them my driver's license so that I can verify that I am the person that purchased that ticket. They'll look up my reservation, and they'll verify that I have paid for the ticket. They'll weigh my luggage and then charge me more money based on how much it weighs and put it under the plane. They'll give me a ticket that I'll take to security, and then at security, I will provide my ID and my ticket to a federalized TSA agent who will then place both my ticket and my ID under an instrument that is specifically designed to help them figure out if anybody's forging their identification document. Once I've verified that I am who I say that I am, I'll be allowed to go through the screening process, make it back to the gate where the plane awaits, and I'll sit and wait until it's ready to leave, and they'll call me up, and once again, I'll have to present my ticket to show that I have a spot on this plane. We'll fly from Nashville because it's just more expensive to fly out of Evansville. We'll fly to Nashville to Atlanta. In Atlanta, I'll change planes when I get to the plane that will get me to Virginia Beach. Again, I'll have to show a ticket verifying that I have a seat on this plane. But then we'll arrive in Norfolk International Airport, which is right next to Virginia Beach, and there my family will be. And when I walk out of the concourse, my mom and my dad will be there. And they'll greet us, mainly the grandkids, but then us. (laughs) And I won't have to present any type of identification. I won't have to show any paperwork that I'm their son. I won't have to show an ID that verifies that I am Daniel Edwards, because when they see me, they'll recognize me as their son. Previous to that moment, I'll be a passenger, a customer, a citizen, and I'll be showing my identification, verifying who I am to strangers. But when I arrive, I'll be with my family and I'll be recognized as a son. And in Galatians chapter 4, Paul is trying to communicate to the people there the difference between a servant and a son. The difference between someone who has to prove themselves and someone who is accepted and embraced and welcomed. You see, Paul had gone to this mountainous region of Galatia and he had preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and many people had put their faith in Jesus. They had experienced forgiveness of their sins. They decided to follow Jesus and they were experiencing the joy of that life. But then after Paul left, someone came in and convinced the Galatians, or at least some of them, that it's great that you follow Jesus, but if you really want to experience the Christian life, these are some extra things you need to add on. These are some Jewish traditions and Jewish holidays that you really ought to follow. These are some Old Testament practices that you really need to incorporate. And that will verify that you are really a follower of Jesus. Because if you're really a follower of Jesus, you'll do these things. Someone had come along afterwards and told these sons and daughters of God in Galatia that they needed to prove themselves. And so Paul writes a letter to refute these ideas. And in Galatians 4, he says some important words. And let's look at Galatians chapter 4, and we'll start reading in verse 3. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Howbeit then, when you knew not God, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye are, have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be bondage. What Paul tells to the Galatian people is that they have been adopted into the family of God. That because Christ has come, they are no longer servants, they're no longer slaves, they no longer need to work incredibly hard to prove themselves worthy, but rather they've been adopted or grafted into the family of God. And if you put your faith in Jesus today, you've been adopted into God's family. You are a son or a daughter of the King. And there is the spirit of God within you that cries out to the Lord, testifying within your own spirit that you belong to this family. And what Paul tells us here is that Christmas is the how of that adoption. How did the adoption take place? A son was born But before he says that, he says, when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, the Bible uses this idea multiple times throughout scripture, when the fullness of time had come, when all things had come to pass, when the moment was right. And for us, that statement is mind boggling. Some of you, when you heard me talking about our trip at Christmas and you heard me say that we'll fly from Nashville to Atlanta and then on to Virginia, it seemed kind of backwards to you. Because as far as you understand U.S. geography, Atlanta is not on the way to Virginia. And you'd be exactly right, it's not on the way. But the reason that we'll have to go there is because Delta, like most airlines, operates on a hub and spoke system. There are very few people who want to make it from Nashville to Virginia Beach on Christmas Day. But there are more people around the U.S. that want to get to Virginia on Christmas Day. So what Delta will do, like they do every day, is they'll fly all of those people from Nashville, from Nebraska, maybe even from New Delhi, into Atlanta International Airport. And there in Atlanta, everybody will get on another plane that takes them where they want to go. There's this broad, huge system, all of these people needing to get where it is that they need to go, and it's all organized and run by computers, and there's a reason that your flight leaves at 12.53 and not 12.52 or 12.54. Because this is all program factoring in what everybody needs to get that day. But when you get to the airport, nobody's thinking about everyone getting where they need to go. Everyone's thinking about what? where i need to go and the people in front of you are in the way and the people who are in line are in the way and all these people who are running late are in your way you've got places to be because you're thinking about where it is that you need to go the bible says that when the fullness of time had come that the son was born God in His wisdom, in His ability, in His power to look across all of time could see the most appropriate moment and the most appropriate place for Jesus to be born. And He chose that night in Bethlehem with Mary as His mother and Joseph as His father because God knew how all of the people of the world would best be reached and helped. And no doubt there are going to be times this Christmas that um, maybe somebody in your family tries to put their plans in front of everybody else's. Anybody else ever experienced anything like that? No. Going to be moments when you're opening up gifts that one of the kids wants to tear into all of their gifts before anybody's opened up one of their gifts. Right? Going to be moments where grandma wants everybody to stop and get a photo before we tear into this. Right? Everybody's going to have their own competing plans. And when all we think about is our plan, what it is that we want to accomplish, we begin to get frustrated. You know, it's amazing that every day there are probably about 97 trillion things that are going on that you and I have absolutely no idea about. And if we knew just a fraction of them, we'd be very thankful that God is doing things the way that He's doing them. But we only know about what we know about. Bible says that when the fullness of time had come, when the moment was right. And for us to read that, looking back 2,000 years at the birth of Jesus, it's one thing for us to consider it, but it's another thing to consider that there were so many people who were waiting for this moment to come. There were ages and generations of Jewish people who had heard prophecies of this Son who would come to destroy the works of the devil. This Messiah who would come to restore hope and prosperity to Israel. And yet, they were waiting and waiting and waiting. And another prophet would come and he would give them further prophecy that one day it's coming, one day it's coming, but not yet. And then, I don't think we really grasp this. Then there were 400 years of silence. 400 years. 400 years from the closing up of our prophets that we have in our Old Testament that God was no longer communicating to them. 400 years until Jesus arrives. I mean, You realize that our nation The United States of America is not not, not even 250 years old. That that longer than it's been since George Washington and the Revolutionary Army won our independence from Britain, longer than that, there was this long period of silence and waiting and hoping, And throughout that entire period, There were God-fearing, God-believing people who would gather in synagogues and in the temple, and they would sing the psalms that we have in our Bible. They would sing of the Messiah who was coming one day. But moments were incredibly bleak when Israel had fallen to its captors, when the temple was destroyed, when the walls fell down. They would still, a faithful gathering of people, get together and sing... Songs of hope. Some of you are, by nature, pessimists, right? You can find the negative in any situation. Some of you, by nature, are optimists. You can find the positive in any situation. And it's fun that God puts us oftentimes together in marriages, so one of us is really upset and the other one is hopeful. But hope is something really kind of separated from either pessimist or optimist. Because hope isn't just looking at the silver linings like an optimist would. Hope isn't ignoring the negative. Hope is believing in a promise even when there's no positives. Hope is believing in a promise even when everything is a negative. Hebrews 11 tells us about believers who everything went wrong and they lost their lives. They were put into caves where they had to hide and they still had faith and hope. And that even in these periods of silence, even in these periods of heartache and difficulty, they were hopeful and that hope gave them joy. For that reason, the Scriptures tell us that the joy of the Lord is their strength. And even in times of great weakness as a nation and as a people, they had strength because they still had joy and they still had joy because they were still hoping in God's promises. And I know that I'm preaching to people who this Christmas might look kind of bleak. It's a Christmas that's going to be marked by grief. It's a Christmas that's going to be marked by frustration. But I want you to know that in the midst of that, that you can still sing songs of hope and joy. Because we believe in something that is greater than all that, something that is beyond all of that. And so Paul says to the Galatians, when the fullness of time had come, when the moment was right, and God knowing all of the things that we do not know, and God seeing all of the things that we cannot see, knew the right moment for the right holy family, Come to Bethlehem and give birth to their child. And think about those moments, okay? Think about those moments that Mary must have said, "This can't be God's plan." But she's laying her son in a manger, a feeding trough. When there's no room for them in the inn. When the angel comes to Mary before any of this has taken place and says, "You're going to be pregnant," and she says, I, "I'm not even married." How how is this God's plan? In the fullness of time, God knew. And he sent his son. And what Paul says is that this son was made of a woman. This God, Jesus Christ, divinity, is born of a woman those of you that you have had children, you have seen this miracle of life that a new life is begun, a child is born and God places himself in the middle of that miracle of childbirth and you know the the weakness and the fragility of that child. God places himself in a manger as a baby made of woman for nine months god placed himself in the womb of a woman god who has no limit in his power and his place there's no limit of time places himself within the womb of a woman for nine months god does that so paul says in the fullness of time God's and His Son, born of woman, and born under the law. Jesus comes; He's born of woman, and He's born under the law, meaning that all of the prophecies that had been foretold of Jesus, He would come to fulfill all of the Old Testament laws that. Seemed so difficult for anybody to keep that no one had ever been able to. The, The best and brightest, the wisest, the strongest, the smartest had not been able to keep. Jesus comes and He places Himself under that law and He keeps every stitch of it. Obeys every commandment. Follows every tradition. Celebrates every holy day. Goes to the synagogue when He's supposed to be there. Goes to the temple for all of the feasts. Does all of these things to verify that He is who He says that He is. The God of heaven does this. To demonstrate fully to us that He is who He says that He is. Have you ever been offended that you have to prove you are who you say you are? Here's what I mean. Have you ever tried to call and pay your utility bill and you have to prove to them that you are who you say that you are so that you can pay your own bills? Recently, when we were moving the utilities of the parsonage out of our old tenant's name into the church's name in this period before Pastor Eric can move in, I called the utilities and I had all of the utilities moved into the church's name. And when it came time to move our water, this is not an exaggeration, I had to dig out the deed to that property and take it to the water company and prove to them that we own that property so that we could pay the bills. I mean, I don't know what kind of fraud people are perpetuating where they go and pay other people's utility bills, but apparently it's a rampant problem. And I'll be honest, as I stood there in the utility office, I was a little offended that I had to go through all of these steps. It seemed a little ridiculous. Jesus comes and He's made a woman. He places Himself in the womb of Mary. He's born. He fulfills every one of the prophecies. And what do people do every step along the way? How do we know for sure? Prove it to us. Jesus does not lose his patience. He doesn't say, don't you people know who I am? He comes in the fullness of time, born of woman, born under the law. And he's done all of this for a very specific purpose. So that we could be adopted into the family of God. This past week, I was speaking to a friend who's a, He's a pastor in Alabama, and I asked him about his family, and they were incredibly excited because they have a new grandchild. And this new grandchild had been adopted from a, a state out west, and his daughter and son-in-law had gone through the great expense and the great legal process of adopting this child, and it really is a travesty of our current situation that it is so easy and convenient and cheap to have an abortion and so incredibly expensive and difficult to adopt a child. They go out west, and they have filed all their paperwork. Everything is as it's supposed to be. They're to carry this child home from the hospital, fly back to Alabama where they live, but there's a hang-up in the paperwork. Some bureaucracy has come grinding to a halt. After all of the forms and documents and all of the fees and all of the expense, there's this extra mixed up at the end that they have to work through. But they stay the course, and they get sorted out, and they bring the child home. The process that Jesus went through of waiting until the right moment, placing himself in the womb of Mary, Being born in the form and likeness of a man, making himself a servant to the limitations of mankind, even unto the limitation of death. He did that all for the express purpose of adopting us into the family. That's what he did. He went through this entire process so that we could be adopted and belong to the family of God. And what Paul is saying to the people in Galatia is that God has done all of this so that you can be grafted into the family, so that you can be adopted. Don't allow anyone to tell you that there's another step because Jesus has completed every step so that you can be adopted into the family. Don't allow anyone to tell you that there's some extra thing that needs to happen because Jesus has completely taken care of it and you are adopted into the As we make that trip, there'll be people who reach out for my ID, who reach out for my credit card to pay the extra fee, who reach out for my ticket and my driver's license so that I can go through security, who reach out for my ticket so that I can get on the plane, who reach out for the ticket so I can get on the other plane. But when I get to Norfolk International Airport, my father will be there and he will reach out to embrace me. And what Jesus did when he came at christmas time as he reached out and he verified his identity he reached out and he paid the price he reached across heaven and earth so that one day he could reach out and embrace us and welcome us and christmas is the celebration of jesus taking every final step and no matter what life is like right now that's a reason for us to sing with hope and joy. Jesus has reached across the heavens to welcome you as you come home. There's no other step that needs to happen but for you to enter into his embrace. Christmas is the celebration of that. Would you bow your heads with me?